What happens when a guy from the city accidentally contacts a guy from the country? It's not what you think. They strike up a conversation and same difference is created. JD and Corey talk the whole gamut of life as they each see it through the prism of race. One is a six foot four black man and one is a five foot four white man. Tune in and find out which is which. Agree or disagree, they will make you think, strike emotional chords, and more. Stick around. You might just learn something. Welcome to Same Difference with your hosts, JD and Corey. We're sharing our stories and how our stories impacted our approach to life. We take our perspectives into having dialogue about real life topics. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> it's been a little bit since we've talked to you. Thanksgiving has happened. But in the intervening time, I'm Corey, and this is JD, the doctor. Hey, Corey. <clears throat> it has been a little while since you and I have recorded. Um, and uh, I'm excited about this one today because we have some some responses that we received from questions of those that have been listening. And this is what it's all about, to gain some more uh, experience that shows that we are connected with the people that are listening so that we can give greater feedback to uh, what they're interested in as well as we talk about our unique journeys. So- All right, well, I've got a question for you. Where are you now? I am back in the loo, baby. And, oh, so uh, does that mean you're back in University City? I am. <clears throat> technically, I'm outside of University City, um, but I am close enough to where I spend a good amount of time there. So, yes, uh, in my heart and of hearts, when I'm anytime I'm in the loo, I'm back in the U as well. And, and, and what's that on your shirt real quick? Oh, this happens to be the uh, the reunion shirt um from the first episode we actually recorded uh brought it back out because i'm back here and just celebrating being back in new city although i must admit uh when i got back here and it was fucking 30 degrees i went i gotta be the only idiot that goes to florida from april to november <laughs> instead of from november to april but hey, it, it is what it is. <laughs> you, you got your migration pattern all messed up, my yes, friend. Yes, sir. Won't be the first time I made mistakes in my life. <laughs> Absolutely positively forgiven. All right. You told me you got some mail. Talk to me. Tell me all about right. all this. So Patty, uh, a listener who I've sent thanks out before previously, Right. Uh, called and said, JD, I would like to know from your parents' standpoint how they feel about the decisions that they made to uh, move you to the places in which you grew up as a minority amongst your peers. Uh, would they done anything different? Do they have any regrets? Um, kind of generalize, talk about some of that and how that went down. And so I I was able to speak to my father. My mom is moving to Costa Rica to get the heck up out of the United States. So she's um, the smart one moving south during the winter, huh? Yeah, during the winter, for sure. Uh, she went way south. And <clears throat> so, but I've, I'm pretty sure if, if I need to bring some changes to this in the next episode or two, I will. Um, but I'm pretty sure I know a lot of what my mom thinks about me and the way that I was raised. Uh, so if you want to start or I can start either way. Go ahead and tell me because I'll respond after. I'm interested in hearing about how uh, your parents viewed this move. So definitely from the standpoint of did they make any mistake? Would they have made a different move looking back at it today, absolutely unequivocally, no. They are in generally happy with how my sisters and I have turned out from a social 
experiment almost um, wise, right? Um, my mom and I went to my best friend's families uh, who I've known since, you know, we moved next to them when I was four um, for Thanksgiving and, uh, <clears throat> and his mom cried that my mom was moving to Costa Rica. Now she was a little inebriated, so she had some help there, but there's still the love. Like my mom and sister went there before I got, an hour before I got there, they were already there. So there was, and you know, this is a, a fun family that talks loud, talks crap, like we said last time, um, but also just shows an, a, a beautiful amount of love and uh, and so she was, you know, they're fa we're family to them. And I, I know my mom loves that experience um, and having had that experience for me and my uh, friends. And so <clears throat> from that social standpoint, no. I think where they have some trepidation or, uh, see, I tried to use a big word of the day by Corey May there. Um, uh, where they have a little bit of the concern has to do with how they raised me from an education standpoint. Both of them went to prestigious universities. Both of them, uh, you know, my dad, Ivy League, my mother, uh, the local Washington University and Oberlin and all these big name temple for medical school. Like they went to the creme de la creme and uh, I, going through high school, was like, hey, I don't even want to go to college. Like, you know, so um, I, my dad spoke briefly about that. If I had to do something different, I might have handled how you were educated differently. Um, if, I, if I had any regrets, it was not necessarily things that he could control, but you know, we got into some more trouble with the law than what he had anticipated, right? Um, and he didn't really think about that happening when he was making the decision he was making. Um, and so uh, <clears throat> some of that was conditions in which um, the choices a lot of young Black youth seem to feel they have uh, lead to I can make money better through an illegal source than than not and I need money and so that that became a source of a lot of the people that I knew growing up and I participated to the level of trying to use my white skin to protect that um, and you know we got into guns and 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 my parents are absolutely against guns and um, and so am I now but we did go through a phase where, right, we, everybody in this sort of post colors movie, uh, you know, yeah. getting into local gangs and thought that we needed to reside, thought, even felt like we might even be tough because we had guns. And I'm glad that that for me, for my best friend Shondo um, and I, it was short lived um, and we didn't get into major trouble where we could have been spending a lot of years in jail. So from that standpoint, um, uh, I know that they're grateful, but that certainly brought some very stressful times to their doorsteps. Um, Let me ask you a question before you proceed on a little bit. So you mentioned the movie Colors, and I remember that as being at the time, controversial. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of movies, I would say like second generation black exploitation, if you will. Um, do you think that they shed an accurate eye on urban life? So interestingly, I'm going to bring in Willie D on this, um, who was one of a, a rapper from one of my favorite groups growing up, the Ghetto Boys. And he and a young other rapper who teaches at, uh, I want to say, an Ivy League school 
um, named D1, um, who teaches hip hop at this, they were having a discussion about uh, how like the framework in which you don't hear the context of the entire story, you pick and choose what you do and you sensationalize that. Right. And, and I think that happened with colors. I met a guy that was a, um, a former probation officer for the youth back then. And he was, he was a consultant on colors. Some of the people that were making the movie had a genuine hope that they would show something that would scare people away from this is not the way that we need to go. Not only that, but it would expose the corrupt cop system and how so much was manipulated through COINTELPRO practices. They didn't get to do it exactly the way they wanted to, uh, to that level, because as we've talked about in previous, Hollywood has a finger in the game. Go ahead. So you use the term COINTELPRO. Would you like to tell our listeners what that is? So as much as we love to talk about conspiracy theories today, COINTELPRO was an example of a real conspiring of the government and, um, and leaders, both political and in uh, police forces and FBI and whatnot, led by, designed by at J. Edgar Hoover to infiltrate two things. One, to infiltrate the black community to be uh, what we have today in a very sort of black on black crime type of manner. And mm -hmm. two, to stop the rise of any black messiah, any black leadership. Um, and I, we could go down a very big rabbit hole about that. And if you wanna know more, you know, I'm a plug race for what right now for that one. Um, but. COINTELPRO was a serious manipulation. And I, I will say one thing, I, I was in, um, uh, I was substitute teaching while I was going through my doctorate and these students were in there and I happened to have an art class and they had the glue guns and they were chasing each other around pretending to be Crips and Bloods in, in the class. And they were in the middle school, I think uh, eighth grade. And I stopped them and I said, hey, all right, they said, all right, all right, sorry, Mr. Mass, we know you don't want us doing that. I said, I'm gonna let you do it. All you gotta do is answer one question. Who was the first ones to write gang uh, language, you know, gang writing on walls in somebody else's neighborhood? Tell me that. And they said, oh, that's easy. That was the Crips. And I was like, no, it wasn't. Oh yeah, yeah you're right, you're right. That was the Bloods. No, it wasn't. It was the FBI, it was the local police force, right? The level in which the manipulation took place. And that was shown somewhat in, in, um, in, uh, in colors, right? The police dropped off rival gang members in, in a rival neighborhood, hoping that there would stir up beef, making it look like they had just done some harm to somebody and doing all of these manipulative things, which, you know, you, you light fire to a, a dry brush. If you create this world of scarcity and you light fire to that dry brush, yes, there's going to be taking out your anger and frustration over your life on somebody else. And, right, if, right. and the easiest person, any of us, white, black, and different can do harm to and get away with is you. Right. Someone that looks like exactly. you. Who looks like me. Somebody looks like me. Can you, the police are going to come looking for you. Right. right I right, cause right. harm to somebody that looks like you or you cause harm to somebody that looks like you. No, 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 no. You can get away with that much more. If right. It's not simple. Moving right. on. Um. So also for our, our listeners, COINTELPRO is an acronym that stands for Counterintelligence yeah. Program. Yes. So co Intel pro. Yes. Thank you for that. No, I'm just, I'm just helping. Word of the day back, Corey May, <laughs> look him up and follow him. Um, but no, Thank I, uh, so 
so from that standpoint, um, it, it, it was sensationalized um, in a way that sort of what people in LA having spent time with um, some of some OGs out there, as they would call them, original gangsters of those Crips and Blood sets, they call them sidebusters. Anybody outside of LA that claims to be a Crip or a Blood is considered by LA sidebusters. They also see them as very dangerous because you're only sensationalizing what you hear on the news, what you see in the movies and in the music and all of that, and you're not connected to the source of what it was originally meant to be, which was to come together, to bond together as a community. Without the influence of COINTELPRO, it had a very different, it was the bastard child of, and there's a Bastards of a Party is a great um, documentary, great documentary on this, but it came from the dismantling of the Black Panther Party that Crips were formed. I was and going so, to ask you about that in a minute. Yes. So, um, so we're opening up some doors for future right. episodes to, to dig yeah. deep into those. Absolutely. Um, but without that knowledge, my parents didn't understand nor had no idea that anything like this would transpire. Certainly has seen um, and knew that there would be some risk of racism still continuing to the level in which it continued in, in a very different form in the 80s through today. Uh, it was, it's been eye-opening for us all as we go through the journey, so. I, I, I kind of want to make this point and we'll probably make this point abundantly clear as we move through the future. Some of the episodes that you are hearing about from us show the duality of black life. There are places where things are excellent and phenomenal and there are places that are less so. And we don't need to say, generalize that the aspects of black life that aren't positive are just what black culture is. It is not a monolithic thing and it is certainly not um, wholly negative. I want to make sure that we understand that, um, especially if you look at, listen to our previous episode about the word motherfucker. Um, it, uh, black life is not all motherfucker. <laughs> right. And in that, though, I also hope that we can see the level of humanity that exists, even when in areas in which we think are it doesn't exist or have been sensationalized for the level of violence poverty and whatnot that um we can start to open our eyes to uh it not being that not being a part of of truly black culture in a way that hasn't you know without the manipulation without being in this system what does black culture look like. And for, you know, I've talked to many black folks that don't really know that either. And it's hard to know what you don't know. So it's not like they're also admitting that at times. Um, but yeah, it's a lot to untangle. Um, uh, and I look forward to you and I just doing our part to share and shed some light and bring forth some level of understanding and humanity that can exist that goes beyond the level of melanin in our skin. Oh, very true. The, the, the focus too often, Hollywood sensationalizes and, and we know this and the media, although we are now considered part of the media, has this tendency to uh, hyperinflate to make certain things bigger and worse than necessary. Um, I remember seeing straight out of Brooklyn with Maddie Rich in um, 
in Washington, D.C., and it was the early 90s, how stressful it was. I'm in I'm in northwest Washington, D.C., which is affluent, affluent. There's very little bad stuff that happens in in northwest D.C. and it's upper northwest D.C., uh, right below Chevy Chase, not the actor, but the part of Washington, D.C. that borders Bethesda. Very wealthy community. And I remember walking out with, uh, after having seen this with some white friends, and they were all really tense and, and jittery about it. And we were, they were all worried that something was going to happen to them. And I said, we're in a wealthy part of Washington, D.C. Nothing is going to happen to you. And I said, because again, much like what you said, if anything happens to you, the police in both Washington DC and in Chevy Chase and in um, Bethesda are all going to be looking for the perpetrator. And it's not going to, it's, it's not going to go unsolved. This isn't going to be a red ball <laughs> or that, that, that people are like, oh my gosh, they got away with it. No, someone will be brought to justice and mm -hmm. just need to understand that. And to think that we spoke about that or that I spoke about things like that 30 years ago, and we're still seeing those, the echoes is kind of uh, stunning. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to you for a minute on, on, on St. Louis. So the, you were in a stage where the you, you ran the streets a little bit and you've decided that, that that wasn't for you. What made you understand that that wasn't for you? Was it was it Shondo? Mm, no, I think it was as I was, well, one, <clears throat> I think Nelly's career saved a lot of us from that. Um, so the timing of that also helped, right? I was, I ended college at uh, 24 years old. Um, I had three freshman years of college. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I just really loved to learn in college. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so that's partly also going back to the question of Patty, that's partly where my parents felt like they could have done better or should have done better is helping me in my educational side of things. I completely disagree and do not have any regrets on how I used my education. Um, but after I finished college, I started working at a bank within the first six months. And within the first, within the first six months after college, and within the first uh, eight months after um, starting at the bank, I quit to become Nelly's business manager. So that level of of ability to provide jobs and other outlets um, really got a lot of them um, out of thinking of needing the streets to. Uh, and that was part of the goal of the St. Lunatics and, and Nelly. I mean, we had different views on how to empower people versus just give them a job. But that is what took us out of um, a lot of that. And that goes to the whole point. People don't choose selling drugs or doing illegal crimes 99 times out of 100 because it's cool as much as, and although it's been sensationalized, so it does start to feel that way, um, which is part of a problem, but also because they feel, even if it's true or not, if you don't know the opportunities exist, if we haven't developed a culture that says, hey, this is easier to do, not you have to overcome this to do, but makes it easier to do, then, um, then uh, 
when you get the opportunities, you see the difference, right? I mean, yeah. so that, that was what really kind of got us a lot of it out of there. I, you know, I can remember people wanting to handle promoters that were using Nelly's name in a way that uh, he definitely wasn't coming and they were lying and it still reflects bad on Nelly like he didn't show up. And, you know, some of the street guys would be like, JD, let's roll. I like, yeah, that ain't my job no more. I'm not rolling. Right. <laughs> of fact, don't call me. Don't tell me. <laughs> I got to be the business person over here to handle the other side of that. So, hmm. yeah. Wow. So you, when, when you were talking about the uh, selling drugs and things like that, it sounds to me that that's more a function of economics. Yes, for sure. I can remember the first close, close friend that did it was homeless for seven days, had a newborn child and hadn't eaten. And he got a 50 piece. That is the smallest next to just the user's portion that you could actually break up into of crack into different pieces and sell them and turn that into a hundred. And then he would take another 50 out of that and turn that into another hundred until he had enough from those because he had to spend some around along the way to turn that to buy a hundred at a time and turn that and to buy 200 at a time and turn that. And I remember the first time he had a $250 medical expense for his child. We thought he, I mean, it set him back to getting a 50 piece again. We thought he'd be crushed. He was happy as a pig in shit because he could actually pay for this thing. Yeah. Like that was real. I, and I watched that and experienced that with him. That's a close brother friend of mine who we've been through things together, fights and whatnot. Like I and great times. I watched it. I learned more from him about business than I learned in, that was really applicable than I learned as an entrepreneur anyway, than I learned from St. Louis University and I took the business finance program there. So it, yes, um, to go back to that, like it was an economics thing for sure. For 95, nobody wants to be running from the police, really. I mean, it sounds cool when you get away and whoo, I did this. Nobody wants that shit. Nobody it. wants a life where the results tend to be jail or otherwise. Yeah. But when yeah. you have a child on the way and you don't see any other way to get the money to support your family, and this way is presented so easily, then yes, of course, it's makes sense to go that route. Interesting. So what about you? I know we want to get to the other questions too, and we will go further down a lot of these other stories later. Your parents, do they have any regrets? Do I don't they... I don't think so. I don't think they have any well, my dad's been gone. Uh dad's been deceased since 78. But um no, I don't think so. And even when I talked to my mom, who's now, she's almost 96, the opportunities, the opportunities that she saw and that they saw in Iowa City were far greater than what, what was available in Southern Illinois. At that time, you're talking um, farming, and that was pretty much it farming it, maybe you could get a something put together so you could have a general store but my dad's hometown definitely under a thousand people and that's that's not a lot that's not a lot i remember i haven't been back down to olmstead in decades decades was that predominantly black though those thousand people or that was I, you know what i don't even know I, th those are memories of me. I wasn't paying attention to race like that as a little kid. Right. Um, and I was innocent in that degree growing up in Iowa City. I, I 
saw black people, saw some black people, saw a lot of white people. And I thought everybody grew up that way. And right. no, not everybody does. Uh, so as as the, the family story goes, my dad is plowing behind a, a, a flatulent donkey and he's like, life's got to be, <laughs> there's got to be something better than this. And he decides to get an education. And as I'd said before in a previous uh, episode, he came here to the University of mm-hmm. Iowa, became a, a uh, he was one of the first two black people, black men in the physical therapy department here. And he had two masters, one in physical therapy and one in special education. And the opportunities that came out of that were were pretty good. You have to think that a physical therapist in the in the late seventies, or excuse me, in the late sixties, early seventies, and who was also into education as well, was going to be doing pretty well. So mm-hmm. we had the we have the house that I grew up in, and that was important and significant um, at the time. It still is important. It's and significant in our family. Um, at the time that mom and dad bought the land and bought the house, uh, two things were true. We were on the furthest. We at one time we were the furthest west home in Iowa City, and now we're virtually downtown. <laughs> That's one thing. Uh, two there was some discrimination because people didn't want to sell land to us. People didn't want to build the house with us. And we found patrons who were willing to sell the land to us, as well as people who were ready, willing, and able to build a sturdy home that's going to last for a long time. Educational opportunities, I have to say, as a person of color, as a black man, I want to live in a university town because one diversity of thought, um, there's always something to do. And the cyclical nature of education means that you're going to see people of all denominations, all stripes, if you will all directions coming to your city. So there's a fresh infusion of thought every semester. And I love that. Yeah. At the same time, at the same time that churn is, it's easy to want to get away from that because you're like, dang, here we go again, another season, another another uh, fall semester, winter break, spring semester, summer break, summer school, summer school session two, summer school session three, another break, then it's fall semester again. It's a wonderful way to set your clock for education. And it's a, it's a kind of a, an hourglass of your life because there's always freshmen coming in in the fall and they keep getting younger and younger and younger. And these freshmen now are younger than my, uh, my youngest children. And it's, to me, it's invigorating and exciting because again, there's always an opportunity to learn. And that's been the fundamental backbone of my family is learning. And, and, yeah, go ahead, please. And so from, <clears throat> have they spoken to you about that decision? Um, and were there things that they might have done differently ever? Did they ever speak on those? The, the, the things that they may have talked about as having done differently, never, one thing that would have always worked well for them was to go to a college town. Was... I, I could have been I could have been raised in at in, at the University of Illinois or right. 
University of Pittsburgh or University of Virginia, as long as it was a university. I think yeah. that was that was the non-negotiable. Um, Iowa City's just been it's been home and it was right. close enough to my grandparents where dad could get down there in, in, a, in an eight hour drive or the, well, four and a half hour drive, if you will, because it's a little further. It's beyond Cape Girardeau and uh, uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. So it's further south. Yeah, so let's say six and a half hours. Six, yeah, right. Yeah, and that was that was a thing. Um, I don't think they would ever. I don't think there was ever any regret of having moved here. Uh, mm -hmm. I I think they looked at university towns as places of opportunity. Right. Diversity of thought, opportunity. You're going to see what's coming down the pike a lot faster than many of your peers. Right. If, uh, my my cousins who may have been down there, well, who were down there, uh, my sister, my sister cousins. Sorry, uh, my slightly older uh, older cousins left there at some point. They went off to college or join the military and they found themselves in education as well. So that was, if, if there was going to be a family occupation, I would think it was education. Right. Some people right. Have, are doctors where they, that's their family lineage. They're just doctors right. or right. they're lawyers. For right. our family, it was teaching. I okay. missed the teaching. Well, maybe I guess you could say I'm teaching now. There you go. Your kernel popped a little later. That's all. <laughs> Thanks, I think. <laughs> um, so um, yeah. uh, let's look at what the other two questions we have. Um, people that I believe you're familiar with. Right. Do you want to read them? Sure, I can read them. From uh, from Cheryl. Oh, yes. Uh, Our friend Cheryl. In Canada. Cheryl. We're international, baby. We're international. Yeah, international. And hey, we're doing well in South Africa. So yeah. that is, uh, we've gotten good feedback from uh, from our Spotify and, and other, um, you know, tracking that we are doing pretty well down in South Africa. So hopefully we can get some shared experience from there as well. So um, remember, we, we got to get uh, David Hasselhoff status. We'll be big in Belgium, too. There you go. <laughs> um, so hi there. I'm listening to your first podcast. I must say great introduction to the future endeavors. Um, I do have a couple of questions. JD, if I may call you by your first name, you are reminiscing and mentioned an incident regarding Nelly and how fast he was. He was on his way home and you mentioned the time. The reason it caught my attention was the infinitesimal, that I hope I said that right, shift in the flow of the telling. My question being, were there curfews in place for young people in your city or parental curfews. Uh, there were curfews in place in U City. We were pretty relaxed um, as far as, you know, the community knew each other. One of the the um, the enforcers being, you know, police. They grew up in U City often, so there was a lot of you could get away with it, kind of with the you know talking to. Um, so. Parental curfews were much more in first, enforced um, at, at that time. And so for those of you who may have missed that episode but are hearing this one, I spoke about how effing fast Nellie was. And uh, we lived a good mile or maybe a little over a mile away and he could get home in six minutes easily to catch 
Sanford and Son. That's how he would let me know he made it home. He'd call me up and have it blasting on it, which uh, um, the you could hear the dun, 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 dun. so that was it. Um, that's an iconic. That's an iconic soundtrack. If you if you've ever heard Sanford and Son, you know exactly what he's talking. <laughs> that is my ringtone to this day. It is my favorite show of all time. Uh, Fred is my favorite character of all time. And uh, yes, so Corey, later in the podcast, when it was your turn for incidental revelations, you mentioned the need to coach some of your friends. Can you please explain on that? Oh, as a matter of fact, yes. there is a level of innocence that we had as children that we were all kids and it wasn't until somebody told us that we were different that we started to see each other as different now i don't necessarily remember an individual who said oh corey you're black but at some point or another this changed behaviors of my peers. And sometimes we have to coach. I had to coach people and say, I can't do that. I can't act up in public the same way that you do because everybody's going to remember me. Everybody remembers the bacon bit in the egg salad, right? So I, I stand out in the crowd more often than not. And I would have to pull my friends away and say, hey, we can't get away with that or I can't get away with that. And if you're going to continue to do that, I got to go. And sometimes that worked as a deterrent, but other times it didn't. And I had to find my way home uh, in certain situations. Walk home or make sure that I was nowhere near the, the shenanigans that were about to go off. Just couldn't I I couldn't do that and then again this podcast in in many respects is doing that same level of coaching of by sharing my experiences we are coaching people on how to relate to each other not only in the differences but in our shared humanity Sure. Now, I got this one. JD, still in the high school confidential mode. You haven't talked about your university experiences. Will this be for a future cast? And the very short answer to that is absolutely. Uh, we are going to talk about our college experiences because there is a lot um, around that time, you know, from going from childhood to adulthood. How do you want to represent yourself? How, how are you starting to interact with others that are you know, going to be future adults and trying to establish themselves as what they want to be as adults? So yes, we will be discussing quite a bit of that. Um, Corey, uh, you talked about dating or lack thereof. Was there an unspoken but acknowledged understanding that interracial mm-hmm. relationships were not acceptable both at high school and the university level. And um, so these are great questions, Cheryl, by the way. We hope you continue to uh, listen and ask. Yes, there was uh, an unspoken but acknowledged understanding that interracial relationships were not acceptable. Even in the 80s, they were still kind of frowned upon. Yeah. And, And in the 90s in college, Yes, but there was a, a starting to be a lessening of that. It was there's it was not as frowned upon, and, and even now it's a whole lot less frowned upon than it was thirty years ago. So yes, there was a an an, an understanding, and uh, like I said for. The big events in high school, like homecoming and prom and things like that, I was always pretty much a safe date. He'd go, he'd t- show you a good time, you'd go out to dinner, 
you go stand in the, with your people, he'll stand with his people. Nothing happens other than a couple of dances and some photographs, and that's it. Whereas I have some white counterparts who were doing all manner of things, and well, it's acceptable. Right. Now, let's see. We've got an another set. Of, thank you, Cheryl, for your questions. Now we've got another question from Justy. Yes. And let's I see believe this we... one's geared towards you because you spoke about this. Um... Oh, um, yeah. So do you want to ask that so then I can answer it? I will do that. Do you think that being funny, in quotation marks, was a conscious decision? Well, I always think I'm funny, and there's no need for air quotes. <laughs> I agree, at least from an appearance standpoint. Go ahead. Oh, you got jokes. You got jokes. Uh, you got jokes. <laughs> yes, funny was a conscious decision because you disarm people with humor. It's hard to uh, to kick somebody's ass if you're if they're making you laugh, right. and that disarming neutralizes, in many respects, the the threat. So I'm not I'm not seen as a giant threat as long as I'm making you laugh, right? Right. If I'm if I'm making you laugh, you lower your inhibitions and you feel like you can trust me, which makes me feel safe. And feeling safe among dangerous people or people who seem to be uh, dangerous, uh, these are some high school guys with whom I attended uh, high school and they were um, country folk. Um, being able to disarm them so that I could go into the bathroom without getting my head flushed in a toilet or getting beaten up six on one in a bathroom. That's, uh, I was gonna do whatever I needed to do in order to survive. Yeah, you become endearing and that is absolutely necessary in that time. And and those are real, real fears because it, it did happen and so, yeah, thank you for sharing that one. And thanks, Justy, for that question. Um, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure you had uh, some similar incidents where you had to be funny as well, right? Being the white guy, the so the only and the other. I think uh, I think for me, in the sense of there's bullies in every sh shade, you know, um, and at at every high school um i think what it did for me when people wanted to pick on me is if i saw the same flaw and could make fun of it in myself i i could dismantle somebody wanting to try and use that to to target me and i'm, I'm short that was pretty obvious uh, so you know I, I liken it to the movie where Steve Martin played in Roxanne uh, and yes, he had this yes. giant nose and, yes. you know, he went off and made funnier jokes than anybody who was trying to be malicious towards him, right? Mm -hmm. And you can dismantle that in that way. Um, it does become an, a, a great tool for bringing a level of camaraderie instead of a level of, con you know, conflict. And, Right. Avoids a lot of harm that way. Right. Yeah. So at, great. At the, at the same time, there's a fine line between doing that uh, voluntarily and doing it because uh, it's it's demanded of you. Right. We've all seen the westerns where the bad guys are like, dance, varmint, and they're shooting at their six guns at your feet. That's a different situation than this one. Right, without a doubt. It's nuanced, but boy, oh boy, there's those times when that humor gets you out of situations and you're like, I made it home. I made it home yeah. today. 
tomorrow we're going to have to do the same thing over over and over again to get home safely. And the flip side of that too, though, Corey, if I, I've gotten us at least with authority, um, police in general, tried to make jokes and they go, oh, smart ass, huh? I go, fuck, that didn't work. <laughs> We're in more trouble now, thanks to your big mouth. <laughs> Guess we'll be spending the night in the holding cell tonight, buddy. All he had to do was just keep his damn mouth shut. Yeah, all he had to do was shut the damn up. <laughs> awesome. So yes, it was a conscious decision. Didn't always bring forth the the uh, greatest results. I'm willing to bet that there will probably be another uh, episode that's based on some of these questions. And for all of our listeners, go ahead, continue to ask questions. If you've had any questions at all over these first eight or nine episodes, send in a question. We're glad to answer them. I am going to certainly expound on two of them together, college years and Patty's question about regrets, um, uh, for sure. Um, <clears throat> during the young adult years of my life, uh, left some of the greatest room for my own personal regrets. And like I said, I'm sure brought some fear and concern and stress to my parents um, during that time. And we'll, we'll get into those at later oh, yeah. dates. Speaking oh, yeah. of later dates, uh, it is the 12th of December when you will be hearing this uh, episode and we are going to take a bit of a break um, for everybody to enjoy their holidays season um, and for us to also kind of plan and prepare for what a next season, if you would, or expanded on this season of uh, Same Difference looks like. Um, we want to continue to develop greater content. We want to continue to um, expand upon the stories. Um, this will, this type of what we are, uh, let the main thing be the main thing, if you would. We're going to keep this up, and the stories right. are going to get better and better as adults. Um, and, and we're going to start to bring in outside issues and tie them into our experiences and look at them, analyze them through our, our uh, life experiences and wisdom. Remember, race, JD and I are standing on opposite sides of a fence. He grew up in a white, uh, in a black neighborhood. I grew up in a white neighborhood. And we're going to see this issue of race while we're standing on either side of that. And the cool thing is we're talking over the fence about the fence. Mm -hmm. He might need a step stool, but yeah, that's okay. I might. There's also holes in the fence, so I can see through those holes. <laughs> um, quite a bit. We are so thankful for every one of you that are out there listening to our podcast. And we couldn't do this without VPR Radio, the goddess Kiana, and the DJ FMI. We couldn't do it without them, and we certainly couldn't do it without you. Yes. So we will be discussing um, in later terms, and, and we have a few minutes now, but, um, but we do hope that everybody enjoys this holiday season. I hate, I have, I have resented American culture's time where they where they have said on news and other forms that this is the time of year where we think of others because that should be something that we think about all the time um, and uh 
So I do want us to think of others if you're if you have sort of conditioned yourself to think of others most more so at this time. And for those of us that really hope that we're making a change and want to think of others throughout, let's continue to do so and not shy away from it during this time. Um, uh, for for me coming into this season, um, I had to go through my sort of militant pushback on, oh, I'm not supporting these commercialized, you know, things to, you know what, hey, the system is set up for us to have more time to spend with family and friends, families. I'm going to enjoy that part of it. And so, um, you know, you can do both. You can still not like what the what the commercialization is about or the way we were taught about some of these holidays and yet still uh, find some enjoyment in sharing that time with others. Bridging some gaps, if you may, across and through this fence. Take the opportunity to share this podcast with your friends. And maybe it'll spark a discussion among you and yours. If there's something that that makes you laugh, let us know. If there's something that makes you think like Justy and Patty and Cheryl, send us a note. We want to hear from you and just more than anything, continue the dialogue beyond this place. Yes. So on that note, um, January 9th, we will be uh, coming out with another episode, number 10. If I may dive into a little bit of numerology for a second, nine is a cycle. That is why the next number is zero and or the next number is one because one and zero equal one and all numbers add up to a number of nine and you could go deep into that. But nine is a cycle and we went through one cycle, not purposely sort of came out this way um, based on when we started it and when we're deciding to take our break. Um, and that's a good sign to me that uh, we made it through one cycle and we are going to recycle and start again in the uh, coming new, um, I hate to call it a new year, but it is a calendar new year. Um, so, yep, looking forward to, uh, to seeing that. Please look us up, samedifference.life, and reach out to us at samedifferencebroadcast at gmail.com. Once again, same difference dot life and uh, same difference broadcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to building with you, Corey. This has been a great experience of nine episodes thus far. Um, I look forward to what we can do to build an audience. And I look forward to what we can do to create better and better content. Hey, speaking of better content, um, what's your opinion on sweet potato pie? What is my opinion, opinion on sweet potato pie? It is one yeah. of the greatest, the greatest desserts of uh, all time. To, it is a Muhammad Ali of desserts. Um, and I love it even because you can make a very delicious sweet potato pie, vegan, plant-based, without the butter. You can substitute that in, with some avocado oil or some other, you know, margarine type substance uh, that, that is still very tasty. Um, sugar, sugar, and you can make it sweet and sweet potato pie can be, uh, enjoyed by all of us. So yeah, don't give me, I could do a whole episode on sweet potato pie. <laughs>
I, I'm good with that. I want everybody to uh, have that as a parting thought. If you've never had sweet potato pie, you can find it. It's available during the holiday season, and it should be available year-round. I endorse Patty LaBelle's sweet potato pie. I'm just saying, same difference. Yes, what a way to end. Same difference on episode nine. Thank you all. Thank you, Corey. I'm JD, and we are out of here until January 9th. Thank you for tuning in to another inspiring episode of Same Difference. We hope this journey through unique connections and diverse perspectives has left you with fresh insights and a broader understanding of the world we share. We're humbled by your support and enthusiasm for the incredible stories and discussions we've shared. And remember, our mission is to foster critical thinking, embrace new perspectives, and spark conversations that bring us closer to an equitable world. So, if you've enjoyed our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Your feedback means the world to us, and it helps us reach even more listeners. And... If you have a story to share or a topic you'd like us to explore, don't hesitate to get in touch. We're always looking for new voices and fresh perspectives to feature on Same Difference. Until next time, remember that our shared humanity is our most powerful asset. And by working together, we can bring about positive change. Stay curious, stay compassionate, and keep making a difference. Thank you for being a part of Same Difference. Take care, everyone. See you in the next episode.